with the battery. Go off. That's clever. Press that button and something beeped over there. Didn't know it had a cell phone in it. Whoosh, come on. Oh, man alive. This is the best fun ever. Seriously. Oh, it's excellent. It's really excellent. I'm, I was pick, picking up a little thread there that was happening this morning as well because uh, Christina was telling me she saw a lion last night. Have we seen, have we seen the picture of Christina without a head? <laughs> well, around about that time, she was seeing a picture of a lion uh, that was uh, coming and proudly, hello, it's going up. Um, it's quite funny. Um, but then, um, Bryony said, yes, indeed, indeed. She's often losing her head, isn't she? Um, but then Bryony kind of as a throwaway comment, the comment said, sorry. <laughs> Something's happening. <laughs> I'm not sure I should be sitting up here, actually. It's a bit high, isn't it? <laughs> I, can, I can kind of gracefully slide off those ones, but I think I might come down with a bit of a crash from here. Um, Bryony said as a throwaway comment, Aslan's on the move. And... Um, And uh, then when we were kind of looking at the picture and we saw the Thor coming, you remember in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, how they, they were saying it's kind of always winter but never Christmas. And um, how when Aslan started to move back in on the land, the land began to thaw. And there was a thaw came and the spring flowers came. And I'm just getting that sense, whoosh, there's something beginning to rise up that Aslan is indeed on the move. Yes, miss. That's a good word right there. We could, if that had gone in the microphone, we could have recorded that. That, that is exactly right, and it never fails to amaze me. I just keep getting blown away by the amazing grace of God. Oh, come on then. Doing the microphone this time. Hey. Nearly seven years ago, I saw in a kind of vision daydream, uh, not actually a dream, but just seeing in my mind's eye, was like, um, and I think it was church, well it is, it's church, and it was the maypole um, with all the strings attached and everybody standing in eagerness to holding their ribbons, but no one able to move because they had no one to direct them into plaiting and joining together. And I'd kind of, it's one of those things I noted and I've put aside and I thought, well, that was then and, and the church wasn't moving as, as well as it could have been. No, I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but, you know, that's just how the vision came. 
And this morning I woke up and I got the second part. And because we're talking about dance, I just think it's right to join and say what I've seen. We're at the Maypole and every one of us is dancing with those ribbons into plaiting, joining together in such joy. So I just thought I'd bring it now that we were talking about dance. Okay. Very good. Next. <laughs> Hang on, there's still one coming from over here. Come form an orderly queue, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I really, really love dance. And it, that is, uh, and I really um, feel what Christina was saying. It's like I'm a child. I've got freedom in dance. That's who I, when I'm dancing, that's who I am in God. And, um, I just want to say everybody can do it. And with that, I was thinking just now, shall I come up and, and say? And then when you said that nobody had the instruction, I thought, well, this is Christina's place. <laughs> you know? But I just felt to say, look, everybody can do it because you're talking about stepping out. Everybody has the language of dance. For me, it's like, um, it's like my tongue. I can speak in tongues, but I dance in tongues. And sometimes if you don't know what to say, if your brain is going 100%, we're talking about the logical side, you know, I know God loves me, but something else is going on, you can move it out. And it's like your, your brain and your heart will catch up with you. And we all have symbols that we know about. Um, if I put my hands together, you know that... That, what that symbol means to you. And it will mean, although it's a, a, a universal sign, it will mean something particular to you. When we put our hands up, that's a movement dance. We're putting our hands up, it can mean loads of things. It can mean praising God. It can mean saying, Daddy, I'm here. If you put two hands up together, side by side, it can say, it's like, this is the straight way. This is the narrow way. It can mean loads and loads of things. And you were talking today about stepping out. Just taking that step is saying, I'm going to stand on that new ground. Mm. It can be as simple as that. And there's loads of different movements. I mean, if just using walking, you can say, I'm walking God's way. So it's using all the things that you can do already, running up to God. All different things, and and God will show you. I haven't been to a dance school, and I was I was rather concerned that Christina was here, and she was standing a bit behind me the other day, and I thought, oh, she's going to see that I can't, you know, one, I don't move as a as a, a you know a trained person. My body doesn't, you know, one hand can do quite nice things, but the other hand sort of doesn't quite do it, and I was very <laughs> conscious of that, you know, but. But, you know, God sees it, doesn't he? I'm his child. And however I dance and however you dance or move, because I think um, there's also something in this word dance. And people just shrink away and say, I'm not a dancer. But you are all movers. Yeah? yeah. And if you can move, you can dance. Even if you're in a wheelchair, you know, whatever. Even if you were... It, it's what you're doing in your heart. You know, even if you are really paralysed, you would be dancing in your heart. You would be moving your, your eyelids or whatever it could be that you could move and God would be delighted in that. So I just want to really encourage you. And, you know, I do feel that from what you're saying and what's being said, that maybe we should move the chairs out a bit, Ooh. you know? Um, and I'm thinking this... This here is a bit of a barrier. It's a bit of a barrier to us, you know, because we're dancing the other side, and it's almost like, well, we shouldn't really, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I feel well, like if we've got the space, space. Yeah. To, to move, then very good, very good. Never had any, I don't have any dance experience. God has taught me everything I know. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Ah. I would just like to say my body is a highly trained and honed and coordinated dance <laughs> machine. <laughs> Denisa, <laughs> come on. Can I see that on display? 
one day in heaven. Um, sorry, I I just I decided to come. I talked with Bridie on Saturday, and I talked with um, Debs before, but I was like, oh no, I'm not going to do it. I, I don't have time because my daughter just started this week's school, so she's a grown-up now. So I just said, no, I can't. I need to be with her and whatever. But then on Saturday, just talking with Bryony, I just said, you know what, I will do it. So I asked Bryony, I said, do you think I can come just um, a little bit in the morning and I won't be able to come the rest of the day because of the family. So I came on Monday and arrived quite late, quite stressed start of the morning, actually. Um, and I just got here and I thought, oh God, I really want to have, I want to enjoy this time. So when I got here, um, Dave, what's his name? Oh, Dave Zanning, yeah. yeah. Um, he just, um, he was just saying, you know, just leave everything, just just be with God, be who you are. And, and I was saying, well, yay, good, <laughs> I'll do that. And I was praying for that. And um, and then yesterday, you who you used to be and I was I was saying well God actually I used to be a very bold lady uh, I used to be I, I used to be very bold so when I say bold really I would go and talk with people you see my daughter you see me mm-hmm. right she's like that she will go and see people and say hi and ask for help whatever she doesn't look for mom or dad she will see the person around her and that will be fine that's what that's who I am, um, and I w- because we moved a lot, a lot, which is good. I just lost those things, and I was wondering why. And yesterday, Christina talked about confidence, and I said, "Well, actually, that's it. I lost my confidence without knowing it. Where is my confidence?" And and the Lord just just told me, "Well, just, just let me in. Yeah. Let me do it. Let me." give you back this confidence, don't do it by yourself. And this morning he said, step down, step away from that chair. And that's it. I wanted to dance, I want to sing, I want to say, I love you Lord and I want to share with others what the Lord is doing. And you talked about the pole, the maple. The maple is um, it's beautiful, isn't it? Because loads of colours, different people, you know, and we have that in Portugal. We use that, it's a dance, well, you know, traditional dance. You also have it in Brittany, I think, in France. It's also traditional dance. Thank you. <laughs> it's also traditional dance, and um, when I arrived in England, the place where we were, the maple was one of our, um, you know, that was our, um, to say, that was something that really meant for us as a community. Mm. And it meant a lot for me because that means that you have so different colors, but all together, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And when you talked about the maple, I said, all right, I think I have to share and actually, it's just so beautiful to see how different I got to a place. I was asking God, God, I want to go to a church, a community where we are free. And when we came the first time to the lighthouse, I was just, I just said, oh, I'm blown away. This is what I was looking for. And I was praying in my heart that the children would agree with us. So <laughs> I was like, oh, please. Because that was one of our main conditions. Everyone needs to agree where we are going to be. And we got in the car and everyone was like, oh yeah, mom, please, this is it, this is it, we found the place. And I was just, as we go farther, as, as we, we get to know more the community and the people, I just see more of God's freedom. Yeah. So let us really take that, you know, let us blow this thing over our heads that don't let us do what God wants us to do. Yeah dancing, singing, drawing, whatever it is, just do it because we are bold. We are children of God, so we are bold. We have the courage, we have the strength to do it.
and we are to show to the world who God is. Doesn't matter if it's strange to see without head, if it's strange to <laughs> see because it's, you know, doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's beautiful, it's really beautiful and it's, it's beautiful. Yes, oh, that's really good. Could you go and pray for Denise? Um, and uh, perhaps someone else at Av, would you go as well and just kind of soak her a little bit as we're talking? Kind of no pressure, just I just feel God's on your case. Whoa! And he's going to... There's a little bit of a... <laughs> Avril, you're supposed to be giving it to her. Come on, Av, get a grip. Okay, can someone else go, please? <laughs> Paula, perhaps you'd like to step over, Av, and go and pray for Denise. <laughs> Just say more, Lord, as you go past. Yay, God. Ah, oh, this is great. Whoa, I'd just be happy to sit in here in this. <laughs> Wouldn't you? And tell stories. It'd be great of just what God's doing. But I think there's this little bit of a recurring theme going on of, of the Lord restoring the years that the locust has eaten. I think there's a number of people that feel, you know, they've got to, got to a place in their lives, in their Christian experience, and somehow or other, something quietly has got robbed away. We've kind of lost something, misplaced something, you know, a bit like you do with your car keys when you get past 40. Um, <clears throat> and they're just like, you're not quite sure where they went or, or, or whatever, but the God's going to start restoring stuff back. And uh, so just pour it in. Whoosh. Yay, God. Well, one of the things we're doing is um, like really trying to stir our hearts to receive the kingdom. Uh, but more than that, um, uh, you know, what, what's important for us at the Lighthouse? I mean, all we're doing here is kind of sharing stuff that we've learned over the few years or whatever. Uh, what's important to us is sustaining that and, and maintaining it and living in it. I, you know, we've experienced different moves of God at different times and different experiences in the Holy Spirit and they've all been great but I want to live in it. I want to get in that place and be able to stay there and to see it consistently worked out in church life and passed on from generation to generation. I don't want it to be something that kind of happens in a big whoosh. It'd be nice if it did happen in a big whoosh. Uh, <coughs> but then fades away. I mean, we don't want that. We don't want something that fizzles out. We want something that is consistent and so, <coughs> excuse me, I've, that's the disadvantage of having this thing. I need to find the mute button. Um, one of the things we've been looking at is, is what is it that really sustains the kingdom or the presence of God, really? I mean, it, that, it can be summed up in that, isn't it? Because when his presence comes, you know, the kingdom comes around it. It's like the, there's a connection there and... What is it that sustains that and helps us to live in it and, and to kind of not move away from it? And one of the things that we've been learning and, you know, we've picked up, I, I will unashamedly say that we are quite aligned with Bethel Church in, over in Redding, California. And that's purely because, you know, I visited there, looked at it and thought, Man, this is how church could be. <laughs> it's like, you know, there is such a, a spirit of excellence, expectancy, kind of foundation in the word. It is a lovely, lovely feeling. We went in and just felt, <sighs> coming home, we're coming home. The presence of God here is here. There's like a real kind of desire to step out and reach out into the community to, to affect those around us, to see the sick healed, the dead raised, the demons cast out, to see businesses blessed, to see, you know, favour upon the whole city. That There's just something about them. They've gone where we want to go. So I do unashamedly say that's kind of where we align ourselves. And uh, so we've picked some of these things up, but... 
some of it has been added in. You know, the Lord's just began revealing things kind of almost in parallel. And so it's not all plagiarised. You'll be happy to know. It, some of it is kind of fresh, fresh uh, revelation that's come to us. But the thing I want to talk about today, which is on the timetable, is called honour. And, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, if you're in the lighthouse, you will have heard this at least ten times. But, you know, actually, we need to repeat these things because it's not about knowing it in your head. It's about knowing it in your heart and it's about living it out. And with a lot of these things, it's a little bit like the Father heart of God. We can, we can know about it and we can receive the information and we could probably teach on it. But then things happen, circumstances change around us and suddenly that orphan spirit starts rising up again and we start whinging and like, you know, uh, making a scene and all of that sort of stuff. And it, it's a constant alignment. We have to keep aligning ourselves with these basic truths. And so we kind of kicked off with the Father heart and we're letting that run through and we're letting the love of the Father just wash over you. Uh, but then some of these other things, um, like hearing his voice, the prophetic is like so important, but this honour... And this culture of honour, like living it out amongst us, is probably one of the main foundation stones that has begun to really affect and permeate the whole of the lighthouse. And it's, it, seriously, it has changed the atmosphere in this, in this church in the last perhaps two, three years, I think. I mean, a lot of people would agree, who kind of guys on the leaders' team and stuff, um, that that the whole atmosphere has begun to change and it's given us a feeling of security and stability and also it, it is just very attractive to the presence of God and to the Holy Spirit. I, I think he likes it. So, I share with you what little we have. So, I'm starting off in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 2 and 3. If you have a Bible with you, why not look at it? Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. It's a familiar scripture. And it says, Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that if you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you. You will have a long life on earth. Well, there's a promise. So, of course, this is um, like a, a, a repetition of one of the Ten Commandments. Whoa! Um, that actually says the same thing. You know, honour your honour your father and mother. That uh, you things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life in the land that I'm giving you. That's what kind of God said to Israel as they, as they were making their way across the wilderness, and and it and it really is. And there, there's something about this honour. Now, of course, this one's talking about mum and dad. Okay, and um, you know that that's one aspect of it. But I think. This honour goes much, much further than that. And that if we can live a life of honour and just kind of everything that we do is seen through the filter of honour, then things will go well for us. We'll have long life. I think there's a, there's a blessing that comes from this honour that um, really will affect the way that our lives go. And conversely, I think if we live lives of dishonour, which we'll come on to in a, in a minute, I think it kind of staunches that flow of life. It's not like he's going to say, you know, God's up there saying, oh, you've been dishonouring. Well, I'm going to cop a load of this, you know, have, have this sickness or whatever. No, God's not, not like that. He doesn't have sickness up there to give to people. It's, uh, but what it does, it, it stops that flow of life. And so let's begin, to look, let's begin to look at it. So what does things go well for you look like in the land? And I think, I think it's obvious to Israel it, it, it was like a very clear picture. And it was, it was the sign for them that they were God's special people. You know, and I, I think sometimes we lose this a little bit. But the sign that God was with Israel was that they were successful. They won their battles. God blessed them with finances, they, they, you know, they, they increased. I mean, you, you've only got to look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, 
as the, as the presence of God came and went with them, and as they stepped into the, the covenant promise which God had given to them, they were very successful. I mean, Isaac was so successful that the people in the land kept asking him to move on. Because he said, you're becoming too wealthy and too powerful for us. That was the sign of God's favour upon his people. Now, to go back to Dave's comment there, that was the old covenant. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. It's a greater covenant. And so, I, I seriously believe that we should inherit all the goodness of the old covenant, plus extra stuff. You know, we get to know God intimately as, as, as Daddy, as, as Abba Father, you know. And, and that's just amazing. But for goodness sake, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay, in the old stuff, because there are all of these promises. You just read Deuteronomy 28 about the blessings that would come on Israel if they were obedient to him. He said, you know, if you, if you um, obey the commandments and uh, follow all the decrees that I've given, then you'll be blessed coming in, you'll be blessed going out, you'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the country. Your enemies will come at you in one direction and flee in seven directions. You'll, you'll lend to many and you'll borrow from none. Now, the secret of all of that was in the old covenant, it was a covenant of law. And if they were obedient to the law, the presence of God could dwell with them. If they were disobedient to the law, because God was a holy God, he had to distance himself from the sin. That's kind of how the law worked. You keep the law, things go well. You break the law, God departs. And there's an interesting verse at the end of that, Deuteronomy 29, which says, you know, if you're disobedient to it, it'll be like... You were um, carcasses left in the field with all the wild animals coming to attack and no one to frighten them away. That's what it says at the end of that thing. And, and as a consequence, you won't be blessed coming in, you won't be blessed coming out. Your enemies will come at you from seven directions and you'll try and flee in one. And it was all the opposite. It was the absence of the blessing. And so, you know, this is what things going well. And I think we should have an expectation that things should go well with us if we're living with the presence of God with us. I think the only thing that stops us is our own expectations. And I think there's a few kind of doctrines that have slipped into the church through kind of very well-meaning and well-thought-of and amazing men of God like John Wesley who took a personal vow of poverty, you know, um, because he was standing up against the corruption of wealth of the time and took a choice to do it. That was his personal choice and he gave all his wealth away and, and um, kind of just lived from day to day. Well, now it's been adopted into the church and there's this extra commandment that's got added on to the, uh, the Ten Commandments which says poverty is next to godliness or something. You know, and it was the same with St. Francis of Assisi, wasn't it? He, he took a vow of poverty. He actually got married to um, Lady Lack or Lady Poverty. I can't remember what it was now, the title of it. But he came from a very, very rich family of traders in, in Italy and he just gave everything away, lived in his old kind of rough old donkey hair habit and all of that stuff and went around talking to the animals, a bit like Dr. Doolittle. Um... And that was, you know, that's good. They were, they were being obedient to God at the time. And they were, that, you know, that's what God was asking them to do. But then what they've done is kind of like, everyone's looked on it and said, oh, well, that worked for them. Therefore, that must be right. And, but that's not actually what the scriptures say. When you look at the pattern of how God put man in the garden first, you know, and he had everything. He had health. He had provision. He had relationship with, with his fellow man. He had relationship with God. You know, everything was good. There was, there was no weeds. There was no, nothing attacking the, uh, no pests, no wasps, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, or maybe there were wasps, but they were friendly wasps, maybe. <laughs> Those are demons in disguise, aren't they? Um, but that's how it was in the garden. It, was, it, was, it wasn't 
kind of just enough. There was an abundance. There was just more than they needed. Okay? And, and then you see it, even as they go into the law and you, you've had the fall and they've got thrown out of the garden, but then God introduces his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the way down the line it gets repeated down. He says, I'm going to bless you abundantly. You'll be blessed amongst all people so that you can be a blessing to the nations around you. Okay, so there's this kind of blessing that flows on and on and on uh, throughout it. And, and, and you see it, they were, they were very successful. And I, I really believe that God wants his people to be successful and to live in this fullness of life, not just to have enough. I'm getting on a slightly different message here, but there's a, I feel like a bit of anointing on it. So, um, you know, 2 Corinthians 9, when Paul speaks to the Corinthians about offerings and stuff, he says, I wish that you had every sufficiency, so everything that you need for yourself, all sufficiency, but also enough to be a blessing on every occasion. So what he says, my heart for you, Paul's heart for the Corinthian church was, I wish that you had enough for your own needs, but also enough to be a blessing or to be generous on every occasion. And I, you know, I've said it in this church a, long t- a lot of times. That is the blueprint for a Christian. That is the blueprint for how God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to live in poverty. He doesn't want us to constantly be struggling and just not quite having enough. And it is the, it's this lack thing that holds a lot of people back from doing what they really feel God wants them to do. And uh, so anyway, this is what things going well for you in the land. So let's get back onto honour, shall we? Um, <clears throat> whoosh. Certainly honour has, you know, our understanding of what honour is um, has declined severely in, in society in general, hasn't it? I mean, it used to be that people would have a certain respect I need to find the little thing. Um, people used to have a respect for those in authority, for kind of our lovely policemen and women. We've got one sitting at the back. Watch yourselves. <laughs> nick, nick. Um, <laughs> that's it, Micah. Nick, nick. Um, people used to have a great respect for all of those in authority and would, you know, if someone stopped them in the street and, you know, asked them, they would kind of call them sir or, or mum or ma'am or whatever it is. Okay. Um, but it's changed a lot, hasn't it? And, and it, it, we, we see it in schools as well. That we, My wife was a, was a teacher and uh, she, we always used to say that there was this unwritten rule um, that kind of a magic that goes on in in the school classroom, which basically is that the kids believe that they've got to do what the teacher says. And if that breaks down, you're in trouble. Okay, because actually, they don't. So these days, you can't touch them, you can't, you can't whip them, you can't... There's no, you, you know, there's nothing... If that magic breaks down, well, they have to move on. They have to go to a different place or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm a governor of a school and I've seen it happen. Um... But, and that's part of that honour that is breaking down in our society. And we, we see it first, I think, in the Bible with the big bad man himself, Lucifer, who was one of the three archangels, wasn't he? There was kind of Michael, Gabriel and Lucifer. And uh, Michael was the warrior angel, uh, Gabriel was the messenger angel, and Lucifer, it was said, was the worshipping angel. And he kind of, it says he had music within him and he, he had full access to the kingdom of heaven and full access to the throne room of God. And he could um, just get in right there with God and was perhaps orchestrating the, all the worship in heaven and all of that sort of stuff. And, but the thing with Lucifer, where he, he, he lost it, was that he thought that he could be equal with God. He wasn't happy to kind of be sort of under God, submitting himself to God. He wanted to be equal and he thought, yeah, I want some of that glory. I want some of that recognition. I want to be 
I want to be known. And of course, as a result, he ended up cutting himself off from that flow of life and was thrown down into the second heaven or whatever it was or onto earth uh, with a load of angels that rebelled and of the rest, of, rest is history. We have our devil who is the enemy of our souls and uh, uh, prince of this world and causing all sorts of mischief and the one who deceived um, Adam and Eve in the garden. So that was our first kind of display of dishonour uh, Lucifer thought that he could have equality. So, in the New Testament, it gives us various models, doesn't it, of, of like how to behave. And uh, one of the good ones is in Philippians 2, 3 to 11. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 to 11, if you're looking it up or writing it down. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have that same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. You see the difference in how Jesus thought. Now, he really was God but he didn't think equality with the Father was something to sort of go after. I mean, actually, he probably had it because he's part of the Trinity. But Lucifer thought that equality with God was something to be grasped. So he didn't think that equality was got with, um, uh, with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you have to look what it's there for. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. You know, Jesus is, 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 our, is our model. It's our, it, you know, everything that we look at, we look to Jesus and it's said that Jesus is perfect theology. Uh, Bill says this, he, he is the, you know, if ever you want to know what God the Father is like, look at Jesus, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There you go, so you've got your perfect picture. So in all the ways, what is the Father's attitude to sickness? Well, did Jesus ever bless a sickness? Did he ever give someone a sickness? Did he ever encourage a sickness? Did he ever encourage you know, a difficult circumstance in someone's life. No, actually what you see and you read about, he healed sicknesses. He raised to, to life those who died prematurely. He cast out demons. He calmed storms. He fed the hungry. You know, every time he was doing that, he was demonstrating the heart of the Father. So, I mean, these are, these are important things to get straight in your heart because if you believe a sickness has come from God, well, you've got no point praying. You might as well give up now. You may as well just accept it, go with it, and kind of have it till the, the day you finish. But I believe that Scripture demonstrates clearly that sickness is not in the heart of God. Now, that's not to say he can't use difficult circumstances to actually bring things out in us but he does not send them upon us in the first place. And I think you look at Jesus and you see that picture very clearly. Jesus only ever healed the sick. He only healed, it says he healed all who came to him. All. That's kind of all of them. Like no exceptions. He didn't, you know, if someone came and said, oh no, no, no this one's got to do something in you. you. You can go away. No, it says he healed all who came to him. And it says in Acts 2.38 that Jesus 
um, did good and went about in the, la- in the land, destroying all the works of the devil and, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So he, he came and he wanted to reverse what the enemy was bringing upon them. And that is the heart of the Father. Okay. So, what is honour? Um, when, we, when we say, like, honour your mother and father, what does that look like? And that, that might be very difficult for some of you because some of you might have had pretty nasty on mums and dads or whatever. And uh, it didn't say you've got to like them. It says you've got to honour them. <laughs> and, and it doesn't say you've got to honour them if you agree with them. It just says you've got to honour them. Okay. Now, so what is honour? So, honour, like if someone is honoured at, like in the fire service for bravery, well, they're kind of put up, aren't they, on a, on a little bit of a pedestal and they're, they're kind of given the best place at the table and they're given a medal to pin on their chest and everyone claps them and, and kind of blesses them and just recognises the good things that they've done. You know, same... Perhaps you do it at the same in a place of work for long service or whatever. You might get your gold watch. You're given a present, uh, but basically you're kind of putting the person up in front of you and just blessing the good things that they've done. And you're recognising them and you're speaking them out and you're making them known. This person has done this really good thing, and they give them an honour. And you know, sometimes people are given the keys to the city, aren't they? If they've been a kind of tr- uh, kind of valiant citizen. Whoosh. Have some keys. Um, so, really, honour, when you honour someone, it's about looking for the good within them and, and really bigging that up. It is really drawing that out. It is drawing attention to it. The English are not very good at this. I worked for a company called Siemens, a German company uh, in the area, and um, it's a typical engineering company, and I was there for about 20 years. And I always said, if you could harness the negative energy in that company, you could do away with nuclear power in, in Britain. It was, honestly, it was, there is something about the English people that loves to point out the things that are going wrong. It's like, I mean, it, it is right the way across society. You've only got to look at the, the newspapers. They love to kind of pick out the bad things and build them up. And, and uh, you know, we, and we all do it. We all do it at different times because there is something in us that wants to describe the sensational thing that happened. And, you know, if, if something kind of lovely is happening, if... if uh, um, you know, someone's doing really well at something, um, they'll say, oh yeah, but it won't last. You know, like, like you say, it's a lovely day, oh, I think it's going to rain later, you know. <laughs> Honouring is about just not, not ignoring the bad things. They're there. You know, that, that's there. But you don't need to say anything about it. Why not pick the good things out? and say, wow, that's, that's amazing what they've done. This person's really good at that. I mean, they may be terrible at this. We don't need to know that. Bless them and really look for the good. Look for the gold within people. Now, bear in mind, I'm talking about a culture here. I'm not just talking about carrying the vicar's bags on the way up to uh, the church or whatever and kind of doing it to your, to your leaders or whatever, people whom you may get something back from. But I'm talking about a culture of honour across the whole thing. I'm talking about your boss at work. I'm talking about, you know, people that you meet. I'm talking about your friends. I'm talking about your colleagues. I'm talking about, you know, everyone around in the church, from the greatest to the least, we honour. We just honour the person that they are, and we keep our speech and our, our um, kind of attentions constantly on the good. You know, we, we are a, we're a prophetic people, and um, what prophecy is all about is looking for the gold 
within people, looking for that gold destiny and, and drawing it out, proclaiming it, talking about it and, and drawing it forth. Like Mandy was saying, you, you kind of see it, you declare it and it begins to come about. It begins to manifest and come. And if we can have this, like, this culture of honour that constantly looks for the good within everyone, then um, I think we will begin to change the atmosphere. And I can testify that actually we've begun to adopt this. We sometimes forget and we sometimes go back on old paths and go into our old habits and say, oh, that was a bit of a boring sermon today, you know. and Oh, we did go on today, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. We do. We do. It just it, it happens. It's human nature. That's what our flesh wants to do. Um, and it wants to be. It wants to be recognised for pointing something dramatic out, you know, or something like that. And it's really more about how we're perceived than how the person we're talking about is perceived. So, but I always call it honour is working jolly hard to make someone else look good. Okay. It that if that becomes our focus then, you know, there is a flow of life that comes into our existence that surpasses everything that we've put into that other person's life. It is this flow that comes that if we honour, all will go well for you, you'll have long life and, and things will go really well in the land. You know, it, seriously, it, it's, it's like a spiritual law. It's like the law of gravity, you know, it's, it's not something that, um, like if I let go of that, God's going to cast it down to the floor. No, it's a spiritual law that if you drop that, gravity says it's going to go down. This is one of those, those spiritual laws that is around, that if you live your life with honour, there is this flow of life that comes back into you. It's a little bit like sowing and reaping. You'll, you know, as you sow, you'll reap back yourself. So it's working hard to make someone look good. Now, what does that physically look like? And, you know, I, th- I think this school is a, g- is a good, good example of what's going on. Kind of Brian and Nate have had a, a little concept, a little idea that sprung up and thought, yeah, that'd be fun, let's do that. And then suddenly, like, there's a whole team of people around who are just working hard to make it succeed. And they're not trying to draw attention to themselves. They're not trying to take the glory for anything. I mean, no one's trying to take any glory for anything at all. But they're working hard to make the thing work. And within a church environment, that, that's, very, that's very clear. And so, for example, I say, like within our worship teams, I try and encourage all of the guys, whoever decides to put their head up above the parapet and sing something, perhaps prophetically, man, we get behind them and we make it work. Even if it's in the wrong key, if it's the wrong tune, if it's the, you kind of move in and you stand and you go with it and you work hard to make that person look good. Whoever it is, it makes from the greatest to the least, whoever the least and the greatest are, I don't, you know, greatest is a servant of all, isn't it? So um, it's all back to front, back to front kingdom. But that's the principle that we have. And, and again, when someone comes up and says, I'd really, I'd really feel the Lord's asking me to do this, rather than saying, oh yeah, the Lord told me that two weeks ago. So, you know, that attitude is kind of, is drawing attention to you, isn't it? It's kind of saying, oh yeah, I, I knew about that. The honouring attitude comes and says, wow, that's a great idea. I thought of that two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> you keep that an internal voice, okay? That's not an external voice. We need to learn the difference. But you say, yeah, great. Let's go for it. Let's make that work. Let's, yes, amen, Lexi. Sorry, I'm, perhaps I'm shouting. Did I wake her up? <laughs> Turn it down, okay. I'll whisper the rest, okay. Um, but no, I mean, everything that we do if we can just be honouring and looking to build up the very person sitting next to us, deflect attention away from ourselves. You know that verse in Philippians? Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than ourselves. Don't look out for your own, own interests, but take interest in others too. 
you must have the same attitude that Christ had. He came down, he gave up his rights, he gave up his, his desire to be important, his, all the rights that he had of royalty, and he came down and he served. He, he washed his disciples' feet. And he didn't say, look at me, I'm washing your feet, that must make me the... He Seriously, he washed them. He got down there in the dirt and did it and didn't kind of look for recognition. Our hearts have got to constantly be looking to build one another up and look to see each other honoured. And when it happens, you know, like we often say it with fathers and mothers and and children, that when the children go further than the parents, you know, a true father and a true mother will cheer and say, yeah, fantastic, rather than thinking, hmm, wish I'd done that. (laughs) But we need to be like that with everyone, not just with sons and daughters. So when we see someone doing something that maybe we had an idea about and they succeed, you bless them and you, and you applaud and you, and you tell other people how good it was and you're constantly, constantly, constantly building people up. The, the annoying thing about this message is it works outside the church as well as inside. And, you know, at work with our bosses, we may have bosses who are not kind of that good, not that holy. But if we have that same attitude to work hard to make them look good, you know, and to, within a business environment, I've worked in business a lot of my life, and if you kind of go in, quite often you'll do something, and one of the directors will come and take all the glory for it, you know, they'll present it and it'll be their, the initiative. But if you bless them in it, and you're just constantly working hard to make that make them look good, it comes back on you. It's, it's a principle of life. And I think, you know, in the kingdom, if we can get into this way of working, of just constantly honouring one another, it will really uh, begin to affect our environment. Now, honouring helps us to receive... Got a scripture here somewhere. You know, I was saying earlier today about how, you know, the, the kingdom is to be drawn down upon. It is, it's not something that happens to us. I think this is such a principle across the whole of our Christian lives that, you know, that actually we draw things out. And this scripture, let's, let's read the scripture, Matthew thirteen fifty four to 58. And it's talking about Jesus going back to his hometown. He returned to Nazareth, that's Jesus, his hometown. And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? But then they scoffed. And they said, he's just a carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and all his sisters are right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so... He was only able to do a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Now this is Jesus. Jesus, okay, was limited by lack of honour. Everywhere else he went, oh, this is, this is the Jesus. Where did he come from? He does miracles. And, uh, and he did miracles. When he went back to Nazareth, they said, oh, this is Jesus. He's the carpenter's son. He's kind of this girl's brother. You know, we've, we've seen him all. Why should he be able to do anything? And he wasn't able to do anything. He was only able to do a few things. Now, do you see here how the culture of honour actually allows us to draw from the person that is administering the gift? 
Jesus had the gift. He was the son of blooming God. He, he had everything. He, he, you know, he, was, he had the Holy Spirit without measure. Okay? He was not limited in any way. And yet, he was only able to do a few miracles because of their lack of honour and their unbelief. So do you see how sometimes when you get a speaker come up and speak in your churches or whatever and you come away and you think, well, that wasn't very good, you know, not much happened there. There wasn't kind of much going on. Actually, it might be your fault because it's our responsibility to receive, to draw the gift from the person who comes and it is that honour where people honoured Jesus. He was the miracles began to flow and the presence began to come and, and things began to happen. And where there was dishonour, there the flow was staunched. Do you see how it all ties up? Honour your mother and father, your brother, your sister, your friend, your colleague, your pastors, your leaders, your choir members, your all of the honour and the flow of life comes. Healings come. Provisions come. There's this flow of life that begins to come through you where you're exhibiting this honour. Where there's lack of honour, it staunches the flow. It just cuts it off. And even Jesus wasn't able. The Bible tells us to honour your mother and father, in Ephesians 6, 2 and, 2 and 3. 1 Thessalonians, honour those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard amongst you and give you spiritual guidance. Romans 13 says, give to everyone that, um, what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. Give respect and honour to those who are in authority. So it tells us to honour those who are in authority. And... Um, in Ephesians 5, it tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I think this submission is it's the same thing. It's this, this is honour. When we give, when we say, well, I'm not submitting to that person, what you're saying is, well, I'm above that person and therefore I'm not going to, well, you've instantly cut off kind of what the gift that you can come. The thing with submission is, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Um, it's not something that can be required. You see, as a leader, I can't say, you lot must submit to me because I'm the leader. You know, submission is only something that can be given. And it's ours to give. And the, and the Bible tells us to submit to one another. That's like everyone. Submit to one another. Because you're always thinking of others as greater than yourselves. It's like a heart attitude. And as soon as you begin to put yourself in submission and think, this person has got something to give me, something, to, something that I can receive from them, you've now opened the door for that gift to be given. As soon as you think of yourself, as soon as you position yourself as, oh, well, I'm, I'm better than that, you've blocked off. Worship. It's good stuff. So, let's, we'll finish up and then we'll have a little bit of prayer because we're nearly getting on to lunchtime now. But how, how do we actually work it out? What, 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 does it, what does it look like? And it, primarily, it's about humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves. David humbled himself before the Lord, it says, on many occasions. He was, a, he was a man who just knew how to be humble. You know, in his leadership style, he, would, he wasn't like Saul who kind of cut up 20 cattle and sent them out the land and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't come and join the army. That was Saul's methodology. David's methodology said, if it seems good to you guys why don't we go and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem? And they said, yes, let's go. 
and everyone got up and went. It's like he humbled himself. He was constantly humbling himself. And I think if we can take on this attitude, humble, 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 humble. Humble ourselves. Ever so humble. (laughs) By serving one another. This is a key. And I think, you know, whenever anyone steps up to do something, and one, you know, obviously there's got to be a little bit of discussion in churches as to whether something kind of gets the backing of what we're going to do and stuff. There's got to be some, like, discussion. But when we decide to do something, if you don't agree with it, don't think, well, I never agreed with that. That's not going to work, you know. Why not commit yourself to say, okay, that's what we've decided to do. I'm going to do everything in my... um, kind of human power to make this work. I'm going to get alongside and I'm going to work hard to make this person look good. I'm going to get behind it and I'm going to serve. Particularly in our speech. Man, we've got to be so careful. Just think and, and, and listen to each other. And when someone starts kind of highlighting the negative things, and we call it good old English analytical uh, thing, you know, c- constructive criticism. Oh, no, it's not. It's just gossip. And it's just kind of dramatic speech that's trying to kind of make ourselves look good. Just stop it. Don't do it. There's no need to do it. Just pull out the good stuff. Talk well about people. Really build them up. Make them look good in other people's eyes. And particularly in our conduct, you know, it's no good just thinking these things. All of the things we've talked about today are active things that we do. Everything in the kingdom is active. It doesn't just happen. It's no good just thinking it. You know, even from becoming a Christian in the first place, you can't just think it. You've actually got to believe it, confess it, and then act it out. So it's got to come out in our conduct and it's got to begin to come out. You know, we, we, sometimes it, it kind of gets a little bit awkward because the people have really taken it on board in, in the lighthouse and quite often when you get up to speak, everyone will clap. Or when, you, when you've just said something, they'll, you know, some people will stand up or something. But actually, it feels a bit un-English but it's getting out of your seat. It's being active in it. It's really taking a step out and beginning to change the culture and, and do it for whoever. When someone brings a, a testimony, whoa, thank you, God. You know, just be active in it and really bless the person who's taken all their courage in their two hands to stand up and say something. And, you know, don't kind of think, well, that wasn't very well constructed, you know, that wasn't a, you could have done a better three-point sermon than that, you know, what were your three points, for goodness sake? Um, But bless them, bless them and encourage them. Okay. Very good. I, I can safely say that this whole honor thing has seriously changed the atmosphere in our church. Seriously changed it. And it we, as a leader, I used to have a few thoughts and I used to think, oh no, it's not Sunday again, is it? <laughs> have I got to go to church? <laughs> and, you know, I, I would stand up here sometimes and I'd be saying something and I'd be looking around thinking, oh, what's that person thinking? And, oh, what's that person thinking? And I'd be going, all this, this double kind of stuff going on. And, um, but I tell you, it's changed. It's changed, and I love coming to church now. I love it. I love getting together with the saints. I love being able to share what's going on. I love the stories that's happening. I love to worship, because the whole atmosphere has changed in it. And if you will put it in, and each one of us, you don't need a church directive to make it happen. You just need to start doing it. You need to make, kind of, just watch what you're saying. Watch what you're doing actively work to serve others it begins to kind of permeate in because as you do it it comes back to you and you find people are doing it for you as well so let's stand yay God Shabba whoosh yeah one of the famous uh, connect 
scriptures was Psalm 133, wasn't it? How pleasant it is when the brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil that's pouring down Aaron's beard, over his robe and down to the floor. It's like the Jew of Hermon, it says. And it says, in that place where the brothers dwell together in unity, the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. It's that blessing of life again. And where there's unity, there's honour. We've just, we're beginning to see it, aren't we, Annie, in the, in the churches? Because the churches are really beginning to honour each other. The, they're losing that competitive thing of saying, oh, you know, we don't want them to succeed because they'll look better than us and are they stealing our sheep and all of that. There's this thing that is working together. Whoa. And it is very attractive to the presence of God. Very attractive. And that life comes. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And we just say, Lord, now just come, kind of plant it deep within our hearts. Deep within our hearts. Lord, we, we don't want to be um, <clears throat> like, like it talks about in James, about someone who goes and looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like and, and stuff. We want to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. And so I pray, Lord, that this will get kind of deep within our hearts and that we'll begin to change the atmosphere of our churches, of our small groups, of our toddler groups, of our um, workplaces, of our schools and colleges and all of these places just by changing the atmosphere around us. And that, Lord, we know your Holy Spirit just loves it when we get along together and when we honour each other and we build one another up and encourage one another. So, Help us, help us, prompt us, help, to, help us to encourage one another to keep positive speech, to keep a serving hearts, to keep humble attitudes. Lord, you say you, you resist the proud but give grace to the humble. And grace is your empowering presence and that's what we want, Lord. Your empowering presence to just flow through our lives like rivers of living water. You've said, he that believes will have rivers of living water flowing from their inmost being. And we say, let that flow of life come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.